You are listening to the Enormo Cast. Greetings. This is a message from Dr. Alan Honlove of the Good Catch Institute. The weather is getting colder, and you're still desperately one-hanging your fall project. Or maybe you've decided to do something easier, but more miserable, like ice climbing. Isn't it time to renew your commitment to your belayer with something more than an occasional high-five? Good Catch is here to help you reinvigorate the foundation of what brought you and your belayer together in the first place. Our expert staff here at Good Catch suggests that you create a safe, warm space for your belayer with the belay parka and stance belay pants combo from our friends at Black Diamond Equipment. The BD belay parka features two layers of insulation, a two-way zipper for wrapping that belay device, and huge internal pockets where your belayer can keep your shoes warm for your next go. The stance belay pants bring the heat with side zips to get in and out even with crampons on. Being wrapped in the BD belay parka and stance belay pants create the feeling of a warm hug from a trusted loved one without the actual human touch that might, you know, give your belayer the wrong idea. But nothing says, Uh, dude, I'm just going to try this part one more time. Like some bomber insulated outerwear from Black Diamond Equipment. Check it all out at blackdiamondequipment.com or your favorite local shop. And remember, if you are cold, they're freezing their ass off. Hey, what's up? It's your toes talking here. That's a nice alpine climb you got there. I'd hate to see something happen to it. Like when we get cold... Life gets pretty miserable, eh, Hotshot? Instead of a ballerina up there, you feel like a walrus. Not a svelte walrus who swims all day, but one of them big ones who lets seagulls crap on them. And if we ever do warm up again, well, get ready to howl like a banshee. And not a cool banshee that scares everybody, but one of them banshees the other banshees make fun of for sounding stupid. So get with it, buddy, and get some sick mountain boots from Sportiva. That's right, Italian-made. So high-tech they're like, what? Oh, we gotta go? Alright, just listen to your toes and check out all of Sportiva's ice climbing and big mountain boots at Sportiva.com or your local shop. And tell them your toes sent ya. Listen, uh, uh, where are you playing in town? You, are you playing here? We're doing the, uh, the Normo Dome, whatever it is. It's terrific. Oh, it's yeah, big place sold outside it out. of town. That's Very a big nice. place. You sold oh, it out. I'll see. We really should. Look, you better get up there before you panic. Those pens are loose. You're very good. I have really enjoyed having with you. We'll make it. I don't think so. But we shall continue with style. Good weather. Bad weather. Now or later, anytime. Today's show is brought to you by Black Diamond Equipment with support from Maxim Ropes and the fine folks at La Sportiva. And don't forget our charter sponsor, Bonfire Coffee. Go to bonfirecoffee.com and enter Enorma at checkout for a discount on great coffee and to support the Enorma cast. And now back to the show. Hello and welcome to the Enormacast. This is your host, Chris Galus. It is November 28th, 
2021, about 9.30 here in Colorado, and this is episode 231 of the Enormacast, a conversation with Indian climber Gauri Varanashi. And let me tell you, when she says her name, it sounds way better than that. I dare say this woman has a sumptuous accent. Am I allowed to use the word sumptuous when describing the way a woman talks? Is that okay? Sumptuous is okay, isn't it? One of its definitions, at least, is exceedingly magnificent. Anyway, she's coming all the way from India. We connected via the internet, and it worked out really well, actually. Uh, we, uh, we had a great conversation and had very little tech problems that I often complain about here. And uh, the internet is a pretty awesome thing when it works. It was like we were sitting in the same room together, even though she was, I believe, in Bangalore is a long ways away from Carbondale, Colorado. Learned a lot about Indian climbing, about her social movements there and what she's trying to do in the nascent climbing community in India to get it equal from the start. More on that in a minute. Before we get there, I would like to remind you that in addition to our large marquee sponsors, Sportiva, Black Diamond, who, for as big as they are, let me get away with murder on those commercials. Murder. I mean, the voices? <laughs> you think Red Bull would let me do that? I don't think so. But anyway, the Enormacast has three long-term little guy sponsors. Of course, Bonfire Coffee, which you hear about in the beginning of the show every single time, is Charlie Chacos here in Carbondale, restauranteur, tour, restauranteur, restauranteur. Anyway, he owns a couple of restaurants here as well as a small roaster. If you've ever spent the night in Carbondale, I hope that someone directed you to the Smithy for breakfast. Definitely a local landmark. Also, of course, Peter W. Gilroy down there in New Mexico. Artist, jewelry maker, also the maker and inventor of the splitter hat, the uh, the hats with the titanium on it with a bunch of climbing and mountain-inspired plaques on them. Go check out his stuff, peterwgilroy.com, entry Normo at checkout. And then uh, Phil up there in Salt Lake City, Belay Specs, also pretty much a one-man show up there, or a one-family show anyway. Go to belayspecs.com and enter Enormo Cast to get a discount up there. But check this out, all of that, small businesses. So when you're thinking about holiday gift-giving, which, you know, you're, you're actually kind of running out of time for that. I think Hanukkah already started, actually. So anyway, but if you're like me and you're doing all your stuff last minute or in the next couple of weeks, you're going to wait even longer. Think about supporting small businesses. Those three are a great idea. You also support the Enormacast. Consider it. Or maybe it's January by the time you hear this. Get something for yourself. You deserve it. It's a long winter. Okay, let's talk about the conversation with Gowrie. Alexis Krauss, who was on the show last year, lives up in the Gunks, climbed with Gowrie, worked a little bit with her on these women's climbing initiatives. Well, anyway, Alexis introduced us on the internet, and that's how we got this thing done. So shout out to Alexis and one of the initiatives she works with, a bump for young women who crush, which gets... uh Younger women students out of New York, take some climbing, introduces them to the outdoors. Really cool stuff. So bump for that. Anyway, back to Gowrie. Gowrie is an Indian climber. She learned to climb in the States, but fell in love with it in India. 
and immediately realized that there were not very many women climbers at all in India, even way less than she was used to here in the States. So she's created Climb Like a Woman, CLAW for short, to try to get Indian women out climbing. And there's a lot of barriers against that, different barriers, even in the U.S. Um, There's, I think, a lot more taboo about women participating in outdoor activities in general in India, at least the way Gowrie describes it. So quite courageous of her to be trying to break a lot of those stereotypes and go against very deep-rooted traditions in Indian life. Gowrie is also an excellent climber herself, a naturalist, and has a really great philosophy about why and how she approaches climbing that we all can learn from. So dig it. The sumptuous voice of Gowrie. Reading your bio, you, you first initially climbed when you were in the U.S. Um, it sounds like going to a climbing gym and then like a lot of climbers, you learned a bit there and then graduated to climbing outside and, and fell in love with it um, and then kind of returned to, to India as a climber. So can you describe uh, a little bit about like what the climbing scene in India kind of looks like, the numbers, the type of people who do it and, and the climbing that that is available to you where, you know, at least where you live and maybe even across the country. Cause I don't know anything mm-hmm. about it other than <laughs> Hampi or Hampi. Yeah. Um, Hampi, yeah. Because of, because of, you know, this very dated video of Chris Sharma <laughs> and, and a teeny tiny Katie Brown um, yeah. climbing there, you know, yeah. <laughs> and that's still the only thing I kind of <laughs> know about the, the rock climbing. I know a bit about the, the alpinism but uh but mm-hmm. yeah so can you mm-hmm. kind of describe what you came back to after learning to climb in the states and found in your native country growing up you know i i had no idea that there was rock climbing going on in india and i got introduced to rock climbing in the u.s and then finally i was actually told by one of my american friends that there is a facebook climbers group for Bangalore, and I was stunned. I was like, really? How, how did I not know about this? And uh, so this was in 2014. I reached out to uh, the person who was sort of spearheading this new, you know, outdoor movement in India at that time, um, specifically actually in Bangalore. So I reached out to him and I said, hey, I'm going to be coming and visiting home for a few months in between, you know, going to college in the U.S., um, can I come join you? Will you take me out climbing? He said, yeah, yeah, of course, why not? And first thing I noticed was so few people were actively going climbing outdoors. So there was a WhatsApp group which had about, I don't know, maybe barely about 100 people in that group. And out of those 100, it was a lot of like chatter in the group about climbing and like you know technical stuff and out of those people only maybe like 10 15 actually went out and climbed outdoors and of course out of those 10 15 who actively went out and climbed when I would come here to climb I would often find myself being the only woman climbing outdoors right so it's 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 a very small community and at that time in 2014 it was really small like across India there was 
maybe a handful of climbers in Delhi, a handful in Bombay, few in Bangalore. And ever since then, one thing I've noticed is climbing is slowly picking up now. And so now there's definitely more intro workshops taking place in Delhi and in Bangalore. And just because of that, more people are, you know, getting familiar with the sport. And of course, social media helps a lot, right? Um, people see it and people think, oh, I want to go climb and get photos of me climbing. That's also a little bit of a part of it. But because of that, there's been a lot of interest and the climbing community has definitely doubled in numbers like now we have whatsapp groups that have like 200 plus people in it in each city so yeah the climbing community is slowly growing but there is still a long way to go in india you know it's um one it's still a small group compared to the u.s where it's so developed now and well established it's still a growing community here and in terms of even developing crags and opening you know bouldering areas there is a lot to be done and it's happening at a very slow pace um, and in terms of climbing areas there's also of course access issues uh, so it's it's kind of you know in these initial stages where people are still sort of trying to figure out everything about climbing but they also want to go explore and establish new places but it's tricky because it's not always so easy to either have that skill set in order to go and, you know, develop new like crags quickly enough or we don't have enough funding or access to gear. So it is still very much a process. Uh, yeah. And in terms of access, just to give you a little quick um, intro to like all the different climbing areas. Hampi is, of course, the most well-known, you know, bouldering mecca of India, right? But there's also uh, about two hours away from Hampi, there is a place called Badami. And Badami is basically the most well-known sport climbing crag of India as of now. That is a red sandstone crag, which is all single pitch uh, sport, sport climbs. And the hardest one, I think there were a few people who came and climbed, uh, you know, the hardest climb there in Badami as well, which is called Ganesha. Uh, it's an 8B plus climb. And apart from Hampi and Badami, there has been a lot of development recently up in the north. So it's the foothills of the Himalayas. Um, so it's pine forest and the areas are just stunning. And there's one place called Satan where it's been sort of well developed. It literally feels like you've gone abroad and you're not climbing in India. The rock quality is excellent. And it's nestled in this pine forest up in the mountain and it's just beautiful. But there's a lot more development and exploration happening now in the mountains. Uh, for example, Ladakh has a bunch of climbing areas now and even a few sport crags. Satan is near Manali, so Manali has a lot as well. There is some in Uttarakhand. So just kind of spread out, you know, all over the foothills of the Himalayas. There are these new places popping up. Uh, Are you considering moving? <laughs> actually, this past year, <laughs> I was so... Actually, this year, so I just came back from the mountains. I was there for about uh, two and a half months. I just absolutely fell in love with not just the climbing there, but also just the nature. It's funny because I was kind of sad when I left the US, but I was also excited to come back to India. And I, the one, one of the things that I felt really sad about was 
you know, I just thought, oh, I'm never going to see all these plants. I love foraging. I'm into wild edibles and wild mushrooms. And I thought, I'm never going to see these plants again. I'm so sad. But then it was amazing because I got to the mountains and I realized I know all the plants. I've met them before in the U.S. because oh, it's such similar, you know, plant diversity. It's, it was all the same. And it was just, yeah, it was really, really exciting for me to go realize that for me, it's not just climbing there that's that's kind of, you know, drawing me there, but it's also the plants. <laughs> so the, the development that's going on now, I know that in the past, the intrepid French and, and uh, a lot of times the UK climbers, you know, especially in a place like India, former colony with all those unfortunate parts of that, but nevertheless, you know, a connection to the UK. And so a lot of times those guys are the first people to come and develop a lot of those those crags. Is is the development going on now as much of it still a lot of visiting climbers or is it are there are there Indian climbers uh spearheading any of that development? Yeah, so it's interesting because now I think it's finally sort of, you know, flipped where it is a lot of Indian climbers who are going out there and exploring and establishing new bouldering areas and even sport climbing. Um, just this year, there was a new initiative that started to set up an entire like sport climbing crag in Satan where it was already established as a bouldering area. But as people went to boulder there, they started seeing all these massive, you know, walls and they said, hey, why aren't we doing something here? So it was actually a beautiful effort. Like bunch of people, bunch of us from the climbing community came together, um, sort of spearheaded by this one guy. And But it was so beautiful because everyone started donating whatever bolts they had, money to buy bolts, and just we all put this together. And uh, they just started bolting roots there as well recently. And it was just so beautiful to watch that happening, you know, because... I feel like the community is now, like it's still small technically, but I think we've grown to a reasonable size where the community can now start saying, hey, uh, why don't we put all our resources and time together and actually invest our time and energy into going to these places and establishing new areas, new routes, and that kind of transformation in um, what the community wants to do in India just shows that we are sort of growing and maturing as a climbing community, right? Very slowly, but it is happening. I don't think it's really something we, and I say we as in my generation of climbers, um, being, you know, several generations past when I started, um, didn't really think about like the fact that, that climbing has an economic barrier to it. I mean, you know, it's hard to think about that when you're when you're 18 years old or whatever and, and uh, you know, putting gear together. You know, we were a, a, a group of guys that we pooled our gear and one guy had a rope and one guy had two friends. And, and it didn't seem like that big of a burden to us. But of course, we came from from an economic place that that did, hadn't trained us to that. But we've been seeing that in the States and talking about it with different communities, how there is this burden. What about in, in India? And you were just talking about like the community pooling resources. Um, but, you know, what do you see as like the barriers there in, in, you know, is the community thinking about that in terms of how to include like all walks of life in the sport? I mean, economic barrier is for sure, you know, a big reason why I think the sport is growing slowly in India. And also, I think 
even the fact that you know it's sort of picking up these last few years kind of goes hand in hand with the fact that you know recently i think people have been finally making a little bit more of an income so they have that it's again it's the same thing in the us right it's having that luxury to um say that okay i'm going to go explore something that also requires a lot of money and you're only able to do that when you're comfortable in life you're earning a certain amount or you know you have that sort of safety net and that's when you feel like okay i can actually go explore something like this right so same thing in india i think the fact that people have been in the past few years uh becoming just more comfortable in their lifestyles and earning a little bit more has definitely influenced people in um wanting to come out and explore these kind of alternative like sports but even today i think it's it's definitely still a barrier because i mean i have these discussions all the time with people here is we can't get shoes easily we can't get gear easily right everything has to come from the us and when that's happening you're you're uh, you know doing the exchange rate between the us dollar and rupee and it's it's horrible you know you're just paying so much more to get that same product so i think that's definitely part of it is that economic sort of um, you know struggle but i think the economic barrier is definitely becoming slightly less now where people are trying to figure out ways and like you said there's a lot of pooling happening as well because we are still in that initial stage so a lot of people are friendly and inviting and you know they say hey if you as long as you have a harness and shoes you can come join us even if you don't have gear initially you know so there's a lot of that kind of sharing and inviting and pooling happening so you But haven't I, reached this this stage like, like like here where everybody just gives each other dirty looks because <laughs> the crag's so crowded. <laughs> Not yet, no. Yeah, you guys are a, a couple decades away from that. Yeah, um, yeah. Get ready. <laughs> exactly. No, it's funny because I lived near the the gangs for so long, you know, and I used to hear all these conversations uh, with Alexis and some of the old time climbers. and it it was so funny for me to hear that you know that they would tell me oh it was so different back in my day and i was like really and now i'm like oh wait okay i'm kind of seeing this right. happening right now <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah i think some of the other barriers are definitely access issues do exist but i think that becomes evident once you're already part of the climbing community and you mm-hmm. have become a climber because that's when you really go and end up facing those access issues you know but the i guess one other barrier i would say for for people into getting into the sport itself would definitely be like a cultural sort of expectation or societal you know what are people going to think i mean it's it's i mean we, we, i'm sure we'll get into this more with women but even even with men there is this sort of um hesitation or judgment that oh you're just going and you know having fun and not actually doing anything productive like what are you doing with your life mm-hmm. um because there are certain expectations even on men here in india just because of the way the traditions and customs have been you know and and the way the society has been like slightly more conservative until recently so there is still a little bit of that happening as well so i think it does take a little bit for people to say hey you know i i want to go do this and it's okay if my family is not happy with me doing this i'm still going to go continue to climb there's definitely that in india for sure 
Yeah, it's it's interesting because the um you know there's like a there's always been like this masculinity thing that's associated with climbing like you're this you're this you know manly man that goes out and and conquers mountains. That was kind of the old tradition and uh but the the thing I've thought about that is that turns it on its head on its head a little bit with masculinity is that um you know the fact is is that we joke about how much we really actually fail when we go out and we climb and and you when you first initially start it, you know, you, you definitely look like kind of an idiot and you, you flail and you fall and you don't succeed. And so I think about like a culture that has like these set ideas of masculinity, all cultures do and how like p- p- going out into a world and, and being like a, a miserable failure for a while is probably like a daunting thing in terms of, you know, if someone has a real set idea of masculinity. Yeah. And also, I think in India, it's one is that and it is that masculinity issue. But the other is also, interestingly enough, there is this, you know, like idea of you need to like work hard in life and live a certain Mm -hmm. way. And as soon as, you know, families see everyone going out and climbing for hours and not working hard, they think, what are you doing? You're wasting your time. You know, you're not doing anything productive. And on top of that, interestingly, actually, this is something that you might find interesting. For some reason, competition climbing has been around for a long time, right? And there are quite a few strong climbers in India that no one knows about because they only do, or until recently, they would only do competition climbing. And their coaches, they have coaches who would not allow them to go outdoors. And so a lot of them would never go out and explore, you know, rock outdoors. And the reason behind this was, and again, this is kind of goes in with this whole cultural expectation or societal norms. Families, and this doesn't just have to do with climbing, it's any sport. They only give it importance if their kids are winning awards and winning cash prizes. That's it. And they're like, we don't care what what else happens or what else the sport is good for for, for their children. As long as their kid is going and, you know, winning cash prizes and then they can go tell people, oh, yeah, my kid's an athlete. They go, he goes and uh, he or she goes and wins cash prizes uh, and, you know, they do this climbing thing. And so that's what it was for so many years. And I realized when I started coming here in 2014, I kept questioning why aren't there more people climbing outdoors? And I realized one of the reasons was this. Very few strong climbers were coming out and climbing outdoors back then in 2014 because they thought that comp climbing is the way to go. That is what they should be doing because then their families don't complain. It's easier, right? Because mm-hmm. their families are like, oh, I'm so impressed. You won cash. That's great. And they, they had this feeling that if they go outdoors, their training will get uh, disturbed and it won't be efficient enough. And over the last few years, thankfully, that has changed. And a lot of these strong climbers have been coming out and just, you know, crushing it on rocks. And it's been really fun to see that transition as well compared to 2014. You know, hearing all these things that we're talking about, it's like there's threads of that in in U.S. culture 100 percent also, you know, and it's like maybe because, again, the sport is so new, we're, we're kind of seeing hyper examples of it there. But um, but I mean, all those things have run through our climbing as well. You know, like myself, who came from the Midwest, it's like I didn't get it too hard for my parents, but it was definitely like a 
you know, why are you just like living in your car? Like when you could be, you know, going on and doing something. So that's all, all been there. Um, you know, talking about cultural norms, mm-hmm. uh, definitely applies to women you said that you arrived in India and was one of the only women you met who was climbing outdoors. Also, I, I think it might've been interesting because you probably arrived thinking you were a, a rope beginner because of comparing yourself to the U.S., but you probably arrived with some skills that were pretty envious to to the whole climbing community, you know, like just maybe arrived kind of on top of the heap as far as what you knew skill-wise anyway, um, which which actually probably set you up to be an, an excellent female role model. Like, oh, she actually just waltzed in and was like one of the top people in this group. Um, so talk a little bit about, you know, your ideas to to try to do these women climbing groups and uh, and to attract these folks to the to the sport and and again what you know some of the barriers you perceived um, that you needed to overcome to get get women to show up to the cliff. So for me, I think it all kind of started since 2014 when I would come here and then go back to the U.S. and I would start making these comparisons. And I think initially uh, it was. 2015, when I started realizing, I mean, I, I always kind of was aware that it was just me and a couple of other women climbers here who was kind of active whenever I came to India, but not really. But what really made me start thinking about doing these women's event was in the US, I began noticing, you know, a lot of movements and um, efforts going towards organizing women's festivals, like I, I, you know, came across Flash Foxy and I actually attended one of their events in, uh, yeah, 2016. And I also noticed the gyms doing ladies nights and these different clubs that were there set up for, you know, taking women out climbing. So I began noticing all these things. Uh, and then I would come to India and nothing was happening. Like nothing was happening in the climbing world, right? And that got me thinking, okay, why is this the case? First of all, there's very few women in general climbing in India. Second of all, no one's doing anything to try and get women out to increase those numbers. So I just started kind of thinking about it a lot. And uh, in the, the way the idea sort of, you know, came about is in 2017, uh, and these are all super interconnected, right? Because for me too, like I had only started climbing in 2013 and for a year I didn't really take it seriously so it all kind of came together in 2017 when I applied for the Live Your Dream grant in the U.S. given by the American Alpine Club in the North Face and I picked a route in Badami in India and I explained in my grant that the reason why, because they ask you why are you picking a specific route? Why is it in that country? And I explained that you know, by me going and projecting and pushing myself, I hope that I can inspire other women in India, women climbers who are mostly focusing on competitions and maybe just doing other climbing to actually also start pushing themselves. But uh, what I also mentioned in the grant was that I've been noticing this discrepancy where there's, you know, nothing being done in India and I would like to do a women's event and see what the response is like and see if women are interested to come try something like this with guidance. And I also realized, you know, that 
climbing is a difficult sport to get into if you have no idea how to go about it, right? Because one, it's expensive. You need to know how to use gear. Even with bouldering, you need to have crash pads. You need to know how to place it. You need to know how to spot. I mean, there's a lot that goes into getting into the sport. And uh, in India, the gyms were also, the gym scene was also very weak back then. Uh, there was only like one outdoor wall in Bangalore and one one small gym. Uh, so it was, it wasn't even like in the US where I would notice a lot of people would come and climb in gyms, make friends, connect with each other, and then they would end up going outdoors with someone. But here, even that was impossible, right? So I realized someone needs to actively do something to introduce, to mentor, to guide. And this way, then women would feel encouraged to actually come and try the sport. So that's how it all sort of came about. And, uh, and in the end, in 2018 was when I reached out to a couple of other women climbers who I'd finally met in India and become friends with. And I asked them, hey, like, do you want to join me in doing this? And they said, yes. So that's how class started. And the interesting thing was, you know, when I initially did the first event in 2018, I kind of went um, with no expectations or with no sort of future plans or anything. I just wanted to do one and see what happens. And the, man, the response was just, I don't know, it was just mind-blowing. And it, it gives me goosebumps even now when I think about the feedback we got from women and the kind of things that women said. And that was when I realized this is not about climbing. It's actually about empowering women. It's about, you know, getting together and breaking barriers together and proving everyone that, you know, in India, women can do what they want. They don't have to follow the societal norms or what their families say or the pressure that's put on them. And they don't have to just you know, do what women are expected to do, but they can in fact go and try sports outdoors and do whatever they want, basically, you know, with their bodies, their life, their time. And so it, it, it instantly clicked to me that this is something that is way bigger than just climb like a woman. And it needs to continue because of that. It's because it has a much larger meanings. How did you at all even advertise or find the you know get it to women because i think it's like you said like even getting this idea into someone's ear about climbing uh is is tricky you know without like a climbing gym to post on and you know what I, what i'm saying so did you use facebook or how did you how did you uh get it into these ears of these women that that joined you it was actually instagram <laughs> oh, okay cool. yeah so i I don't even know how, but I think at that point I had like a decent Instagram following and there was another Indian climbers girl who also had a, she's part of the claw team. She also had some and it was sort of this, you know, we thought, you know what, let's just um, create a page. I, I mean, I created an Instagram page when I decided I'm going to do it, like just randomly created it, uh, started posting some pictures of women climbing. <laughs> And then created a website and we just started promoting it. And, you know, I don't know. I guess there were enough women following a few of us. The The response was so quick. We had instantly people following the page and starting to ask us questions like, hey, do I need, uh, do I need previous experience? Do I need to be fit? Do I need to have, 
you know what do i need do i need to be a certain age and all these questions are pouring in and right away I, it it was clear that this is definitely something that is needed in mm-hmm. india you know and it was pretty amazing to see that and then of course after that it's been i think a mix of word of mouth and social media like i think women who've come to our events have loved it so much that they then go tell you know more of their friends and they they push their friends to come and so we end up getting people from both social media and word of mouth but initially it was actually just social media and we were not even thinking that we would get that many signups but we got 30 women and mm-hmm. out of the 30 women 25 had never climbed before and yeah i mean some of the things i heard them say and the change in attitude and confidence by the end of the event was so magical to sort of witness and be a part of that it just we were all just so thrilled you know at the end of it and so excited to continue we had this new like energy in us this flame in us you know we were like yeah we need to do this for like women in india and you know empower each other and it was just really exciting No so I just wanted to share you know some of the feedback that we've had from women at the at the end of claw events right because I think that will really sort of uh paint the picture of why it's so powerful right now um you know I had so many women come up to me before the event and tell me oh I I always assumed that climbing and sports are for people with certain body types or like someone like you who looks strong right or skinny or all these all these misconceptions right um and i had people come and tell me i don't think i'm fit enough um i'm like super nervous i mean this year at claw one of the women said she she always felt super nervous to wear like sleeveless tops even something as simple as that in india is something that women struggle struggle with on a daily basis right because you think you're going to get judged you think people are going to you know do so, like i don't know cat call you or like makes whatever like be, have inappropriate behavior take place and so these struggles are so sort of in our faces every day that these women said it was so freeing for them to just come and wear whatever they wanted and they realized that no one cared about getting tanned because in india it's this huge thing where fair skinned people are looked upon with more respect and are considered superior because like you said you know the colonization and there's this whole like white people worship kind of thing um so dark is bad so families actually yell at girls and women if they go out and even just spend time out in the sun because they're going to get dark right so here we were and even getting scratches on the skin is a big no no You know, there are all these crazy things that women have to abide by in society here and so here we were we were all just dressed the way we wanted to we were all getting dark you know getting scratched by the rock and just going all out and and the women every year the the feedback is it is just so freeing and it makes them so happy to see other women also staying strong and just coming and doing what we feel like doing and you know there's this camaraderie and everyone feels this bonding and it just it gets so intense and so beautiful that we all feel sad when we leave i mean this year we were all crying like 
half of us were crying. I was crying. <laughs> but like it, it truly ends up feeling like a community because it's a five day event. So we're all just together for five days. So what's the uh, what's the future and, and current status of your plans with uh, with this? And, and, and also, do you have economic support? Do you have any brands or anybody else that might come into the team? Because, I mean, if you're going to do 30 women clinics, you got to have gear, you know, and you're not necessarily a guide service that's got piles of it laying around. Yeah, that has been kind of tricky and like changing each year in India because it's really tough to get support in India. I mean, even from international brands, uh, let alone in India, there's only a small handful of brands that sort of cater to, you know, outdoor gear and outdoor equipment and even climbing equipment for that matter. But the first year it was somewhat okay. We, we've never got financial support or backing ever. Companies never seem to want to give us that. They're always like, no, take some of our products. You can have some of our products, but not money, which is okay. Like we've been managing, you know, um, with whatever we've been getting in terms of gear. So the first two years, there was an Indian brand called Gipfel. They make tents and even crash pads. So they sort of supported us and they said, hey, this is awesome. This is such a new concept. Like, this is great that you guys are doing this. So we're going to give you enough tents to sleep 30 women and enough crash pads uh, for your entire event. And so that really helped us out. And um, American Alpine Club, actually, the first year um, supported us and let us do an Instagram takeover and, you know, sort of screen live moments onto their uh, Instagram, which sort of helped us get more momentum. But yeah, it keeps changing. Like this year, it was a little bit of a challenge to figure out crash pads, but we did not need tents because it was up in the mountains. Uh, so we figured out like homestays for everyone and shoes or oh, shoes. We've really been helped with shoes, the cliffs has given us so because when I used to live in the US, I would just reach out to the gyms and ask them, hey, if you have these, you know, these shoes that lay around in gyms. And I know about those because I used to work in some of the gyms in New Jersey. <laughs> so I reached out to all these big chains and I was like, can you please give us like donate shoes that I can take back to India? It'll be like of so such big help for us. And they did. They donated, I think, in total, they've given us 23 pairs of shoes, which is just brilliant. But yeah, even then, you know, sometimes we have to arrange more shoes because we don't always have the size and things like that. So for that, we've been getting support from certain local climbing organizations who happen to have more gear inventory. And they've all been so supportive. They've Anytime we've reached out and we've said, hey, can you give us these shoes? We don't have these sizes. They've always been like, yeah, of course. One of them is Bangalore Climbing Initiatives. They're also sort of the ones who initially started all the workshops and events to get more climbers in. But yeah, so we've had a lot of support, but it's always been in these like little pockets, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's been amazing. We've, you know, we've always felt grateful for that support and we've been able to run three editions now with just all this sort of random support from here and there and gyms and like all over the place it is tricky well, though mean, in india yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, it sounds tricky and but the whole time you're talking you know and this you know i know a lot of folks in the industry listen to this show so really like the amount of support you need 
to run these things is like not even a budget line item for uh, some of these larger companies, including my sponsors, you know, Black Diamond yeah. and whatnot. So hopefully listening to this, I mean, you know, I, I just, the, the idea that like 24 pairs of shoes is this a giant boon is amazing, but it's also like not a problem for right. some of these brands. So I think it's a matter of time and hopefully uh, even this will bring some interest in because it's, it seems like such this powerful thing because we do it here in the States, as you said, mm -hmm. there's been this massive push, um, I think of the last decade uh, to bring women into the sport. And it's, it's literally worked. I mean, there's, there's no, denying that we are we are you know starting to reach parity in terms of mm. women and men climbers you know it, yeah and, and especially in gym climbing and in and, and competition climbing in places like that so it's working here in the states and you know any brand that's realized that that their market has doubled you know that that right it's just it's just a, like a no-brainer to me to exactly to like hand over 24 pairs of climbing shoes from yeah. a brand to uh to to hook a bunch of people in india i mean if you want to be that sort of cynical about it it just seems like a no-brainer thing brands that are listening to this show right now <laughs> um, you know so I, I i think it's brilliant and and like to hear your voice like get excited and and uh and you know come up when you start talking about this is 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 clear your passion for it I mean, and the thing is, like, even just in starting CLAW, we've had so many more women become part of the community and increase in numbers. So even even here, we're already seeing slightly more equal ratios in just three editions of CLAW. And, and also part of it is, you know, as we do CLAW, we're also promoting on social media that women can do all this. And that's also helping. So more women are coming out on their own and just wanting to try come to the gyms they join us wherever we go outdoors and so it's i mean it, it's already you can you can already see you know that it's doing good it's just that yeah i, I think for some reason with brands and to do with india i don't know what it is there's barely any climbers or athletes supported by brands in India. Mm -hmm. I think maybe it's to do with shipping and customs and I, I completely get that it's all complicated, but it still surprises me that, you know, it's really difficult in India and for and there are some strong climbers here and there are some strong upcoming women climbers as well, but it's it's just a tricky thing. Um but well, yeah I feel like I mean myself included, I'm like, you know, I'm I'm I would consider myself fairly knowledgeable about climbing even around the world. And I, mm -hmm. I just, I still didn't have this picture in my head of Indian climbing. And, and, you know, it's like you guys are, are as a community looking outward, you know, this is the yeah. beginning. And so I think that you're, you're just at the foot hit, foothills, if, you know, to use a, a terrible climbing analogy, <laughs> but um, you, you're definitely looking forward to more exposure and, yeah. you know, it'll, it'll kind of come into, I think a rolling with, all of a sudden brands understanding like, okay, we have yeah. this, this place, which is new that, and the cool thing about it is, you know, you talk about how small the climbing community is and, you know, we've in the States, we, you know, we had a 50 years catch up to do mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, and we're working, you know, a lot of brands are working on diversity now as well. And yes. we're trying to catch up with that. And it's like, India has this opportunity with its climbing community. You have an opportunity with the climbing community 
to like start out in 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 this world do you know yeah. what i mean like it's not too hard for you to bring in a, enough women climbers to to equal it out from the very beginning yeah. you know it's like if we were doing this in yosemite in the 1950s or something here in the states you know so i i just think like there's this exciting opportunity to start yeah. from the ground up you know again like another dumb climbing pun but <laughs> i can't help it ground um, you know what i mean ground up boating ground up <laughs> yes. But yeah, I so, mean, claw, yeah. that is the idea behind claw, right? Is I guess, you know, because everything is so small now, there is this, you know, ability for us to sort of um, try and keep the ratios even from the beginning, yeah, which hopefully, yeah. I mean, our hope is that we can, if we mentor and teach enough women and get enough women to get interested and really continue and get stronger, then eventually it would be amazing if, you know, some of the claw ladies and even us included, like the claw team, if we all start sort of trying to even pitch in and work with others, even in root setting, right? Because it's so different, like with our body types and, and the way women move, it's, it's a different style sometimes. And so it can be, it can bring more diversity in general because then we would also be pitching into bolt, sport routes or open boulder problems and and that is like kind of the the goal you know as well with claw which is we can do so much um because as of now you know like for example there's only about four of us women who have climbed an 8a climb i mean there are more who are stronger who can easily come do it but it just to give you an example it's it's very few women right now who are you know, at a certain level, trying to push, trying to learn more skills. So yeah, it would just be really amazing uh, to have these women, you know, feel so empowered that they want to come and learn bolting, for example, or exploring and figuring out new lines and new crags and actually becoming a part of the community to also help develop and, you know, sustain and maybe teach more women, right? Uh, and influence more women to come and join. Um, so yeah, this is all part of it. I just had this uh, amazing thought if like in 20 years, you know, <laughs> there's some guy, there's some Indian male Indian climber who's like, you know, we have this crisis of no men climbing in our, in our climbing scene, you know, like we have, we're doing men's nights. We're having men's climbing groups because like all we have here are women climbers. <laughs> Actually like some really alternate funny. universe where it's yeah. like the dudes are like, wow, we really need to attract guys to the sport. <laughs> that would be so hilarious. There's no giant dinos in any of these routes. <laughs> exactly. It's all really technical, crimpy, crouchy. I don't know, like, you know, moves that really. I feel very discriminated yeah. when I go to the gym that I can't flex my muscles. Um Anyway, oh my god! Anyway, maybe there's some fantasy world that'll that'll happen. Um, that'd be great. Um, yeah, men just totally intimidated all the time at the gym. It'd be amazing. Um, so let me. We've been going here for a long time about how much you sort of give to the community, you know, and and outwardly. But let's talk about you a little bit uh, as well as a climber. I have some of your bio. You know, it's it's a it's actually you know no offense, but it's like a really you know, it's a little bit typical of, of a modern climber where you went to the gym, you, you, you got in and out, like kind of hooked, kind of not, but then all of a sudden you had a moment or you had a, a season or you had a, a time where you were like, God, this is really, 
something I want to do. Then you went outside, which is, I think, yeah, it's, it's kind of the modern version of it. But tell me a little bit about you as a kid, or at least as a young person that you think, you know, I, li- I try to like to form this basis for where you, you, you know, you became the kind of woman who would be like, I'm going to try climbing while so many of these other women, you know, have such a hard time crossing that barrier. Uh, what what attracted you to climbing? You think you know what what were the kind of the roots of it that that you found yourself there? Not not necessarily how it happened, but what was inside of you to find that world attractive? Do you think? I think for me, it's just loving the outdoors so much, and that came about at a very young age. I was very lucky to go to an alternative school in India. Um, in the outskirts of Bangalore city with a super wild campus where it's so in India, a lot of it, especially South India is made up of a lot of boulders and it's the shrub forest um, land uh, strewn with a lot of boulders everywhere. Um, So for me, my childhood was essentially um, climbing up trees and plucking mangoes and tamarinds and uh, making tamarind chocolate by sneaking into our school kitchen and stealing some sugar. And we would have a favorite rock. We would have a rock that we named Secret Rock. And uh, (laughs) this was my version of climbing at a very young age. Um, It had a tree like leaning next to it. So we would go climb up a tree, pluck tamarind. Do you know what tamarind is? Mm -mm. The really tangy, it's a tangy fruit that has multiple seeds with pulp around it. And um, it's delicious because you can remove the pulp and then usually it gets used in cooking. But we kids would steal sugar and we would climb up using the tree and also using the rock onto our secret rock and sit and, you know, act like, you know, little like back in the day, like these nomads or something would take rocks and crush the pulp and crush sugar into it and make these wonderful little tangy candy, basically, that we would sit and eat. Yeah, and then we would scramble on rocks like every other day. Like we would just be scrambling on rocks and climbing trees. And one of the lucky things that we had near our school was um, Asia's second largest monolith, which is only 20 minutes away. It's this huge rock named uh, called Savandurga. And so every month our teachers would take us walking. That used to be our little field trip out of the school. We would walk up this giant monolith, sleep the night on the rock with no sleeping bags. We would literally just lay down on the rock, go to sleep, wake up the next morning. And You had a forced bivy. You were like, yeah, you were like training for exactly. like being benighted exactly. on some climb somewhere. Being when you were super uncomfortable. <laughs> being super uncomfortable. But you know... You ever get stuck on a ledge somewhere, you're going to be like, yeah, this is no big deal, you guys. I'm fine. I'll just sleep here on this rock. I'm good. Exactly. (laughs) And you know, it's funny because half the time we would all... Initially, it would be uncomfortable, but we got so used to it. My memory was just not that, that it was uncomfortable. It changed at some point. And I just don't remember it being that uncomfortable, even though I'm sure it was initially. And, uh... My thing was to always walk bare feet up and down that rock. It was always bare feet for some reason, because in India, we grow up in flip-flops, which we call chappals. And so we grow up in chappals. And so we would just get up to the base. And before beginning the, the walk up, we would all take 
off our flip flops and hold it in our hands and walk up all the way to the top. Yeah, and I think just you know, growing up in that campus and that school gave me a lot of time to learn about nature and learn about what's in um in my surroundings. So one year I studied butterflies, another year I studied snakes. I love snakes, and you know, just growing up kind of like a wild child, I guess, sort of set set this in motion. And um, and I love climbing trees growing up, right? So when I came to the U.S. to study. The way I got into climbing was I started guiding in the Peruvian Amazon rainforest during my winter breaks through college. And one year, one of my friends, Dara, she came with us, and she saw me with, of course, no protection because we didn't have anything at that point. But I climbed up a strangler fig tree to like quite a height, and then down climbed it. And she saw me, and she just said, "You have to come with me to rock climb." I said, okay, take me, and that's that's sort of how it started. So I think when I went to the gym, initially, like of course I was hooked. I loved it because it was you know climbing and it was that body movement that I'd always always enjoyed. But what got really uh, got me really hooked was when I first went outdoor climbing, because I think that's when I realized that all these passions of mine and you know even. The memories of climbing trees as a kid, all of those kind of came to me, and I realized I just love it. I love climbing rocks and just being out in nature for hours. It's, it's for me, it's a way to just keep connecting and reconnecting to to nature, and so it it was just like this perfect combination of all my passions, you know, coming together and uh, making it happen in one place in that one moment. So that is, yeah. Where did you go to college? I went to college in at Bard College in the U.S. Okay. Yeah. So upstate New York. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So near the Gunks, near and the that's Gunks. probably how you ended up meeting Alexis Krauss eventually, yes. who's, who introduced us online um, as part of why you're here today. Yes. Um, what did your first outdoor climbing experience look like? So the first year when I kind of started climbing indoors, it was very. It was like on and off. I would go for a few weeks and then stop for a few months and then kind of go back. So I didn't get regular until like the second year when I really started climbing more. And then a few of my friends invited me to go outdoors. And so I think I did briefly go and do like top roping in the gangs. But I think the moment that really truly like you know stands out to me that I really remember is that same year I came back to visit home to India. And um, the person who I had initially contacted in 2014, his name is Sohan. He's kind of become like a continuing mentor to me. As as is Alexis, actually, she's mentored me a lot too. I love her for that. Um, but he took me to a sport crag in the out, outskirts of Bangalore, and they would, you know, lead it and set it up. So I, at that point, I already did uh, no lead belaying and. And I had started leading in the gym a little bit, but I had never led outdoors. And he was kind of the first person to push me a little and say, "Would you, would you like to try it?" And I was being unsure and hesitant. And uh, he said, "Okay, well, why don't you just do a mock lead for fun?" And I said, "Okay, actually, that makes me feel good because I'm still on top rope. <laughs> I can do a mock lead and have fun." And I don't know what happened. I did the mock lead, and all of a sudden, I I came down and I said. I want to lead that for real. 
I love that. And I don't know what happened. I just got on it again the second time and I just let it and that was it. From that day on, I was truly hooked and I truly started enjoying climbing outdoors and actually stopped enjoying climbing indoors for fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I I do go indoors to train because I have realized that it's it's um, easy to train indoors in a gym but I actually don't feel inspired in gyms I, I, I feel don't the same feel way. motivated you're, you're preaching to the cra- you're preaching to the choir here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that I was I have fun when I go to new gyms that are really big. Right. Um, but yeah, in general I'm not that motivated. Yeah. But- um yeah well the reason you felt so solid leading is because you'd free soloed secret rock like hundreds of times right <laughs> i yeah maybe i would like to think so oh my god <laughs> which was a kind of a not even a highball boulder <laughs> well it's but funny yeah. because there's famous stories of of tommy caldwell being coaxed up rocks by his dad with like candy and money rewards so what? the secret rock thing with the candy on top it all fits the same motivation oh, that's so, so interesting yeah i didn't exactly. know that huh? <laughs> you know again we're talking a lot about how much you give back um but what are your personal climbing goals you mm. you've you know, you have pursued performance climbing and, and even in that, I feel like you were like doing it to kind of establish yourself as a role model to then attract women to climbing. You know, it's like all still part of this thing of like, well, I want to do this because then it'll help these other people. And we usually think of performance climbing as, you know, such a self-centered centered thing. Um, Mm -hmm. But I'm I'm thinking of a story I read about you pursuing to do, you know, this, uh, I think it was like a 12 C this hardest climb at this one area. It got you know it got you noticed in 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 the media mm-hmm. hilariously actually read the articles but um, they didn't really get climbing very well but no but, you know that's it's world terrible. over but yeah but anyhow you're probably one of the top climbers in India you're mm-hmm. you're definitely one of the top women climbers in India I don't know how the genders compare but um <laughs> yeah what are your sort of climbing dreams as you pursue those those personal goals so that that. Uh... 12c climb actually was uh, something that for me yes you're right i did that in in order to also sort of you know inspire and motivate uh, and it was also my first project so this whole experience or process of projecting was very new to me and that was the first time i ever did it and you know in the process i actually fell in love with finding projects and just working on one climb. Uh, so for me, I think moving forward, something that I do want to continue to do is uh, I just, I so ever since French Indian Masala, which is the 12C climb, I told myself because I loved walking to the crag every morning to, to the base of the climb. In India, even walking to the base of the climb is a crazy experience because in Badami, it's very, uh, it's a very small town. So I would have to walk through a tiny village past people's houses with monkeys sitting there waiting to grab bananas from my hand. And, uh, you know, people basically out in the fields trying to take care of their morning um, rituals. <laughs> and I would actually go disturb them and they would all get up with their little mugs of water and go hide. I, felt, I would feel so bad. But that itself was a crazy experience. And I would go and you know, work on this one route. And I realized that I love that process because to me, it was 
so calming and it would make me focus to a, a point where I, I would never focus on anything else like that you know and and what i also really came to love is how closely i got to know that one rock and that one root i literally could remember every pebble or crystal or where it was or which hole was where and like just getting to know this rock you know was so beautiful to me and of course also understanding my own weaknesses my own body movements what i'm strong at uh, my fears right of falling i really struggle with it's still something that i'm constantly working towards so i think personally for me it's working towards you know yeah just training myself to not be so afraid of falling but also every two years now i want to find a project for myself um and just go and be me and the rock and just work on something and try and do it so end of last year i actually climbed my hardest climb which is the 8a it's called samsara in badami so as of now it's only me and three other women who have done it and i was the third one and then a young 15 year old girl was there on the same trip and she watched me do it and she got really psyched and she tried it a few times and then she sent it a 15 year old she is so strong but also something that i really want to explore apart from training and projecting is and have been wanting to really sort of train myself and do this for the past year i i want to get better at you know i i've been doing multi pitch climbing but i want to somehow train myself for like a big wall cuz i would like to do at least one big wall in my life and experience that for me the thing with everything is learning and experiencing new things so i never say no to experiencing something new so i think within climbing I definitely will continue to find projects but I would also like to you know get better at trad because that's something that I recently started really falling in love with and Chris and um, Chris Voltaggio and Alexis were really you know generous and took me a bunch of times with them and they've sort of encouraged me to keep working on it so in India too I'm working on trad and just start to you know maybe eventually try and project like on trad and that would be really exciting too for me So yeah I think my goal is to not just get stronger but to also start really sort of fine tuning my skills with technical skills and try and you know just push myself a little bit more in terms of trad and hopefully eventually big one like big wall climb and then yeah I think eventually that this is like much later in my life I would like to also just get better with bolting and help with you know exploring and establishing new lines cuz i do love that whole exploratory aspect of things of climbing as well i love going on adventures and exploring and uh, <laughs> just you know having to deal with sudden things that you don't expect and like how do you problem solve for that i i kind of enjoy those sort of adventures so i definitely in the future would like to learn root setting like root establishment i don't know what you would call that but bolting and various other things let me ask you a little bit about you know you you talk about these expectations um particularly of women but of societal roles and my impression has always been and and this is maybe like you know some sort of xenophobic thing but it, it feels like they are a little bit more staunch and set in stone um in indian society even in the states anymore maybe maybe again like if we throw back a few 
few years in the states, you know, thinking about conservative fifties and sixties. But you know, you you talk about these women who who have these barriers, the scratches, the tanning, the the roles they're supposed to play. How was your life in terms of that? I mean, it sounds like your parents were interested in having you in this school, um, but did you also feel any of that pressure and and have to work through that or were you able to kind of just shrug any of that off because of the way you were brought up well i've definitely had extremely supportive parents and super Mm -hmm. open-minded and liberal growing up i mean even for their generation they're very open-minded so they of course because of that they you know found an alternative school for me and they've always sort of encouraged me in whatever i've wanted to do I think recently I have definitely felt these sort of like slight like pressures, but of course they're still there like supporting, but there are definitely times where, you know, I can see they're worried for me and they tell me, are you going to like make a career? And are you sure you're going to be fine just doing things like this, like teaching rock climbing and nature connection? (laughs) You're sure you don't want to figure out like a job and, and, you know, do something official and, So I can see a little bit of that sort of traditional thinking coming in and it does make them a bit nervous at times, but they are, I mean, I have to give them credit. They're super, super understanding and good at being very um, open and flexible and not putting too much pressure on me. Um, So growing up, I think even when I started climbing, I, I personally didn't get too many, you know, challenges thrown at me. Um, or I wasn't asked to stop doing what I'm doing. But in fact, I think more than my family, I've definitely felt just like sort of feeling like we don't belong in the outdoors in India from other people, like the general public. That has definitely happened to me personally when I've gone on my own climbing sessions and and the outdoors, but also during claw, there were incidents that, that have happened. So... I think in general, as a woman in India, you will have to face some of these challenges. It's something that you can't really escape. And I think a lot of it has to do with just the fact that I think maybe in the US, women's rights movement, there's been a lot happening for a while now. So there's been that time for people to change their mentality and change the way things work. Whereas in India, I think because things have been slower right to catch on even including these various women's rights movements it's taken a long time because uh, it is definitely a more traditional conservative culture especially back in the day so I think it's just taken more time for all these things to catch on so I think these changes have to and will happen it's definitely happening but I think it needs to just come from creating more awareness education exposure that people get you know that women don't have to be treated like this <laughs> you know um for example like one time i i went climbing with two of my guy friends in this uh, mini forest that's kind of within the city and of course every time in india when we go climbing there are access issues we have forest department office officers who either come and harass us or the police uh and immediately it's like what are you doing here why don't you have permission you need to go get permits And freaking India, you know, if you try and get permits, you won't get anything for two years, probably three for all I know, you know. So it's like, there's no point. There's no point in even arguing with these people or trying to even get permits. But this one time, it was a lady cop 
and a guy and another cop and they came and found three of us climbing and instantly they were like what are you doing here we said we're just climbing we're not doing anything uh, and they said why don't you have permits we said because it's just a outdoor you know recreational activity it's not like we're doing something illegal uh, and this is a public space so we said we we have the rights to come here you know why are you giving us a difficult time and to me i was so stunned because the lady cop finally speaks up and says yeah i, I mean it's okay if the two of you are here but why is she here and immediately it was don't you know that you should be staying home what are you doing in the outdoors do you know there are lots of crimes that take place in these forest areas where people come drunk and they do things to other people uh you know there are so many rape cases in india this is not a joke and she just basically started scolding me for being outside and climbing and i was just i didn't even initially i didn't know how to react i was like what like what am i doing wrong like do i not am i not allowed to come enjoy a beautiful outdoor space and enjoy nature and rocks you know what have i done wrong and this has happened a few times this is not this is not a one off incident you know so it's it is something that we have definitely faced and one time during claw there was a there's a reservoir in hampi and so all of us on the third day or something we were like okay let's all take a break and go and chill and take a swim and so we all walked there to this reservoir and there was no one at the reservoir initially when we walked up to it but as we got there and within i think about 15 minutes of us getting there i don't know where they came from there were about 15 20 men that showed up and they just stood all around just staring at us not moving not saying anything just just staring at us and we all immediately felt so uncomfortable like we we were not allowed to be there we can't just enjoy a space without feeling unsafe you know and thankfully we had uh, that year that was the first year so we we were not able to find a woman like photographer or videographer so we had this um guy photographer with us and his assistant these two guys and they were so sweet they tried to go and talk to these men and tell them you know you're making everyone really uncomfortable here can you all just leave they would not budge they just would not leave so we all all of us women swam for like some 10 minutes we just packed up and we left because it was just too awkward and it was too you know scary as well for us to to feel that and see that happening and so this this is like you know i could go on there's just so many instances like this in india so definitely there are those sort of challenges not my family has never made things difficult for me but yeah it's challenging yeah i mean that that sounds really difficult and, and i was actually kind of curious and i you know i i sort of didn't really want to bring it up as like a negative thing because i was curious about that because i mean even here in the states we've got you know this like idiotic pushback against these you know these women only courses but it it's you know it, it comes up here and i was i was wondering if you got pushback and i was also kind of thinking about how much courage it actually probably takes you um if i can compliment you to to even sort of broach this kind of thing and create these groups because of yeah this this pressure around you to uh, to go stay in your place and and that that sounds like really predatory what was going on there yeah i mean i can't imagine the sort of pressure around that and and 
and maybe even feeling physically threatened at times with some of this stuff. And, and it makes me sad, obviously, but it also like, you know, it's, it, it makes me impressed that um, your group would continue through that and just keep going. Because that's the part of the intimidation of it is to try to stop it from happening. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. In terms of pushback, I mean, initially the first year, I think there were a few like male climbers in the community as well who were like, wait, but why is this? Do you really need this? Like what? And of course they were, they were not, you know, they were joking here and there and trying to kind of ask me, but they, no one ever sort of you know, put a lot of pressure or said anything rude or mean. And I think right after the first edition, after that, no one has questioned it. And everyone in the climbing community, everyone has been supportive. So these these incidents that have happened are definitely like the local people around. But yeah, in terms of pushback from the climbing community, initially, I think people were a bit surprised. And I did have people asking me, but I think over time now, I think seeing that, you know, ever since the first claw edition, there have been more women climbing and this has been influencing and encouraging more women to just come try the sport and even try climbing outdoors. So now they're all just sort of like, oh, yeah, this is good. We need more women climbers, which I know they genuinely felt. They've always felt that, that they want more women climbers. But you know how, like, like you said, like, I think I don't know what happens. There is this weird I, I don't know if they get personally like a bit hurt or something, but when you first start this, they're all like, wait, why? We're very, we're very, very fragile. <laughs> but we are, us men. It's, it's like, it's ridiculous how fragile we are. I mean, the last two years in the States or maybe even four years in the States have just shown how actually fragile yeah. we just whine and complain like endlessly <laughs> about everything. It, it's terrible. And climbing is no different. I don't think we're, we're 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 like all these tough like oh we're so tough we climb and we can overcome fear. But then we get to the ground and we just whine about everything. It's absurd. But uh, so hopefully you're, again you're like going to change that. But uh, but what you said about them suddenly realizing like women climbers are good. I mean that that I talk about that endlessly. Like God, they're yeah. you know when I started climbing there was really so few women in the sport and it's it's great. It's like wow, look around us. I mean, we were just all these guys, like these just <laughs> sullen dudes like hanging out together. And it's like so much better to have women around. Like who, who has a problem with this? Like what guy has a problem with this? It's like so much better now. <laughs> yeah, I know. And, and it's it's so interesting, you know, because with some of them, I, I did have like long conversations with a few people explaining why we have had to create this space for ourselves and some have just naturally realized on their own. And interestingly, the second claw edition, also we had a guy photographer who sat in. So each claw uh, event we have, we keep a space for a discussion time where we actually sit and discuss all these different, um, uh, you know, just sort of what the climbing community is like, these sort of details on what it feels like to be a w woman and have to do such things and climb and deal with like general Indian public as well. Like we, we discuss a lot of different challenges that we face so that we're also leaving these women with all this knowledge and this awareness, right? And it was so, so cute. But after our discussion during the second claw event, the photographer came to me and he said, my God, I never realized such like, you know, 
details about such challenges that you all face and i'm i'm so sorry i'm going to apologize from from like for all, on behalf of all men from of this world <laughs> then, then you guys said i was like it's okay relax but he was like no i completely understand why you need this now i was like yeah but you know it shows that when when people actually hear first hand our experiences and understand what what it how it makes us feel i think that's when a lot of people end up realizing oh yeah no this this actually makes sense this is needed but yeah interestingly recently i've climbed with a lot of people here who love having us women around and i've even had a few guys who are like i need to watch you climb cuz your beta is usually amazing and it ends up working for me so can you come and try this problem which i'm not able to crack and i've just i've just been so grateful to these men you know because i'm like that's so sweet because i on my own it's so funny we women create these stories as well in our in our minds that we're not as strong we're not as good at this you know and cuz naturally myself i probably wouldn't just go up and start telling someone saying hey why don't you try this or this beta will might work for you like usually a lot of us women are more quiet in that in that sense whereas guys are more confident in going and saying hey like i think this will work for you or this won't you know and like sort of so i would usually be quiet but then a few of the guys i've been climbing with they're like you're so strong like we want to watch you climb as well and and take away you know like just ideas or suggest you know beta or whatever it is and and they would make me speak up and they would make me give them suggestions which to me felt so awkward at first i was like i don't know if this is going to work for you cuz you know you guys are probably stronger or you have more like you know reach and which i don't cuz i'm short i have all these ideas and it stunned me because it actually a lot often we would give each other you know suggestions and we would discuss and exchange and it actually would work for all of us like you know some of mine beta would work for them and some of theirs would work for me so it was just it was just beautiful to experience that and see that change already taking place here and i think that also gave me some hope i was like okay this is this is a good sign we're all heading in the right direction here <laughs> <laughs> yeah um you keep deflecting away from talking about yourself um <laughs> but i'm going to i'm going to get a few more questions it's fine yeah. you know it's it's actually very uh endearing that we keep <laughs> but i i do want a few more questions about your climbing okay. um because i'm just curious again some of your motivations you know and not to not to sound like your parents but what did you study in college <laughs> i studied environmental studies and biology okay and how many uh how many applications do you have out for jobs no i'm just kidding um, <laughs> none <laughs> um anyhow so in in what what is your you know aside from teaching women what is your sort of uh livelihood then right now as a as using that degree or anything else again not to sound it's, like your your mom or your uh... dad <laughs> <laughs> no it's fine uh it's teaching nature connection to people and uh okay. you know nature education so this is something that i've always truly been passionate about i love animals and i love plants and really obsessed with snakes so i like to also sort of teach people not to fear snakes as well and in general try and connect people to 
plants and animals and landscapes and and it's it's so nice because for me you know this passion of wanting to reconnect people with the natural world goes so well and hand in hand with climbing because to me i started realizing over like the last couple of years that climbing is in fact a form of nature connection if you think about it right because you're going to these beautiful places and you're climbing something that's natural moving your body and using your mind and touching the sense of touch is just so heightened and and so to me i was like why like i need to start teaching climbing as well with this focus of nature connection or merging those two together so um in the us after i was you know guiding in peru for over 10 years i was guiding people into the rainforest then climbing came into my life and i realized if i keep going into the rainforest i can't climb as much so there was this conflict but in the meantime i found um, an organization i started working with called wild earth in upstate new york and i just loved working with children through them they would work with public uh, public schools and also just private summer camps and programs and i loved working with kids and teaching them about nature and about animals um so that sort of got me into this whole teaching um all about nature and that's actually when i met alexis that was also a funny story because i had reached out to her and emailed her that i'm doing climb like a woman and then turns out she a year, couple of years later she came and started working for the same organization so we worked together as well um and then when i decided that you know i want to move back to india i thought okay what what is it that i want to do in life and i realized this is what i want to do in life it's um show people that nature is just brilliant you know and we can learn actual life lessons by observing birds by observing animals and plants and and along with that bringing my passion for climbing uh just made me even more happier so in india i've started my own organization now uh which teaches nature connection to people and part of that is also climb and in nature where i take people climbing and teach them climbing beginners but the whole idea is as we walk to the rocks i do various sensory activities i teach them about the plants and animals that we pass by as we walk to the rocks and then when we are climbing as well i tell them to sort of be aware and more observant about what's moving around them who are the creatures that live in those rocks that we are climbing right so just bringing in a lot more of like nature awareness as a part of climbing because my hope is that i i don't know i mean i'm sure you've noticed this too that there are a lot of climbers even though we like to consider our, uh, consider ourselves very outdoorsy and like very aware of you know nature and uh, conservation there are a lot of us who just go to a place and we walk straight to the rock and we observe nothing and pay attention to nothing and we climb what we want to climb and we leave <laughs> without really you know learning about who are the other living beings that are sharing that space with us right who is it also home to because we are going into some other animals or living beings home 
and we're happily just like putting chalk and climbing and doing whatever we want and then we leave <laughs> and it's just to me it's like so rude because you wouldn't go to your friend's house and just go mess things up and leave it's rude right so so i've noticed that even in the within the climbing community there's definitely those climbers who are more sensitive and more aware and they actually observe and become curious and learn but there are a lot of people who just go and climb or even other like you know activities like trekking or hiking i've noticed that there there's this thing that's lacking which is curiosity and being curious and wanting to learn about an insect or about you know the life cycle of a plant or a flower there, there is this lack of you know um wanting to really truly understand what's around us right and so my whole thing in life is i want to make that somehow trendy and like tell people that when you start learning about these things you learn magical things about nature nature has crazy cool stories like mysteries and surprises that you know you would never imagine that these these animals are this hardcore and they're so badass and they you know the life cycles are crazy and hardcore and there's just so much to learn from nature right so my whole thing is if i can bring people now into climbing but also bring them into introduce them into the sport with more of like nature awareness in general i hope that they carry that forward as they go on into climbing more or into any you know any outdoor activity and in general i yeah my thing is i want to connect people back to nature in a more fun like deeper way where this curiosity gets triggered because that's what's really cru- crucial like our, you know children are so curious right i don't know what happens as we grow up as adults it it, it dies <laughs> i don't know why but like we just become less curious and i'm like why why aren't we asking questions about that praying mantis or that grasshopper or you know how does the grasshopper make that sound how does a cricket make its sound you know how do they lay eggs or whatever it is we don't ask questions but kids do and so even when i was working with children so here too like the us i've continued to try and work with children as well because that sort of keeps you know being around their energy and their questions of why and curiosity keeps my curiosity alive as well and then i keep questioning and then i like to go and teach these this to adults so it's sort of this whole process of trying to um yeah bring back nature as something amazing that we have to value and continue to be curious about and learn about because it's endless even even now i feel like i barely know a tiny bit about these you know cool beings around me like very tiny even though everyone in the us was so like people would tell me oh you know so much about insects and snakes and in my head i'm going i don't know enough i wish i know like three times more what i know right now so yeah it's like a it's like a never ending process you know whether it's climbing or nature for me it's just we just keep learning you just there's so much to learn so you just keep learning All right, folks, thanks for listening, and thanks to Gowrie for doing that, connecting all the way from Bangalore. And if you're interested in what she is up to, furthering your understanding of her world, you can follow her on Instagram at Gowrie Vanarashi. You can also follow Climb Like a Woman at Climb Like a Woman. 
and also climblikeawoman.com on the interwebs will get you to their website. And if you can find a way to support them, that would be amazing. And if you have connections in the industry, that would be amazing too. I have those connections. I'm going to bring it up. All right, folks, I don't know what's happening where you live, but Western Colorado has this amazing weather streak going on if you want to rock climb. If you want to ski or, you know, live, we could do with some snow. But still, I'm out there guiltily enjoying splitter days, warm afternoons, rock climbing, despite the carnage that it's producing on the watershed. What do you do with that guilt? I don't really know. feel a little helpless. But at least climbing takes my mind off that helplessness. I hope it's doing that for you too. Whether you're getting snow where you are, whether you're ice climbing, whether you're skiing, go out and enjoy the outdoors. It's okay. It's okay. And of course, check those knots. That notion that we should each be free to develop our own talents, whatever they may be, and not be held back by artificial barriers, man-made barriers, certainly not heaven-sent.